You're listening to episode number 79 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. Welcome to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, where it's all about smart, efficient training so you can crush your cycling goals. And now, your host, Coach Rob Manning. Welcome to episode number 79 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. With my website, the Tailwind Coaching blog, the episode show notes receptacle, and my downloadable training plan store is all available at www.tailwind-coaching.com. If you want to get updates for what's being posted out on the website or for any additional uh, free workouts, free training advice, free coaching advice, special offers, etc., all delivered to your inbox, you can sign up for the Tailwind Coaching newsletter at tailwind-coaching.com slash sign up, S-I-G-N-U-P. And don't forget to share that with your friends so that they can get in on that as well. If you have any questions about what's contained in this podcast or anything on the website, feel free to contact me at coachrobdc at gmail.com or coachrobdc at tailwind-coaching.com. You can also follow me on social media, all the links of which are available at the website tailwind-coaching.com. And I encourage you, if you enjoy what you're seeing in this podcast, go ahead over to iTunes and rate this podcast five stars. The more five-star ratings I have, the more I'm able to move up the ranks of the podcasting uh, statistics, the more I'm able to get out there and reach more people and get this advice to them so that they can enjoy riding their bike a little bit more. And that is exactly what I love doing, is helping people ride their bike a little bit more. And of course, if you do enjoy the information contained here or on the website, I encourage you, go ahead, do your Amazon shopping through one of my affiliate links. It costs you nothing, and it helps to support the show with every purchase that you make. And of course, if you're looking for a training plan or some kind of other uh, training help, you can, of course, take 10% off of any of my downloadable training plans at uh, tailwind-coaching.com. Use the discount code PODCAST10 to get that discount. Or if you have questions about what plan is for you or what you need to do so that you can meet a certain goal, go ahead and shoot me an email and I'll help you out as best I can. With that out of the way, let's get on to today's show where I'm going to talk about time trial training and racing tips and tricks. So I'm going to try and help you go a little bit faster with a little bit less effort. Okay, now before I get started with today's show, I want to give you a heads up that the podcast episode show notes for this particular episode of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast are available at tailwind-coaching.com slash 79. That's the number 79. So what is a time trial? To put it very simply, a time trial is nothing more than the race of truth. It is a race against yourself and against the clock. You race solo, you start at a set time, and there's set intervals typically in between the riders that go off from the starting ramp. And the idea with this kind of race is very similar to a Grand Fondo scoring. The fastest time over the course is the winner. It's the purest form of racing there really, really is. There's no drafting, there's no pack riding, there's no help. In the professional ranks, sure, they have a follow car that if they have a mechanical or a flat tire or something like that, they can get mechanical support from that car. But for most of you who are out there riding, racing, and training, 
you're not going to have anybody out there to help you. There's going to be nobody. It's just you and the clock. Now, there are a bunch of different rules for time trials as well. There are time trial classes. There are non-time trial classes. Um, there are restrictions for time trial classes and non-time trial classes. If you're racing a UCI-sanctioned or international kind of race, there are restrictions for your bike setup, and your saddle has to be a certain, you know, offset from the bottom bracket and all kinds of things like that. But for the purposes of those of you who are out there just racing a Cat 3, Cat 4, Cat 5 time trial, what are you looking at? Well, time trials are a pretty easy way to start racing, to be honest with you. It really doesn't require any special training. It really doesn't require any special equipment. In fact, that's probably the easiest thing to do, is to sign up for a TT, show up at the starting line, they send you off at a certain time, and you ride as hard as you can until you hit the finish line. That would be an example of the non-time trial class, or some people will call it the Eddy class, which, of course, comes from, you know, the Eddie Merckx. Uh, if you don't know who Eddie Merckx is, then go look him up. He's only one of the most winningest, one of the winningest cyclists of all time. Um, but Merckx raced time trials on a road bike, a regular drop bar road bike, with no aero equipment whatsoever. And, by the way, he was damn good at it, too. So, the Eddy class time trials are very typically no time trial bikes, no solid disc wheels, no tri-spoke wheels, uh, minimal aero equipment. Typically, aero equipment is restricted to a skin suit, an aero helmet, and a deep section wheel. Um, there is sometimes restrictions as to how deep that wheel can be, but that's look up your own state rules and regulations for that, or national rules and regulations for that as well. This concept of the eddy or non-time trial class helps to level the playing field when it comes to a non-TT specific class. Uh, now what I mean by that is it's designed to try and make the racing about you, about your engine, how good you are, how strong you are, how powerful you are, how efficient you are. In a time trial class, where you are using time trial bikes and skin suits and aero helmets and um, aero shoe covers and full disc wheels and tri-spoke wheels and, and the sky is the limit, sometimes it's about the equipment in that case. Somebody who's willing to go out and spend $15,000 on a bike and some wheels, plus spend some time in a wind tunnel to tune their position, plus a $500 aero helmet, plus a $500 skin suit, plus you name it, will have a hell of a lot more potential to succeed than somebody who just jumps on their bike and goes out and races a time trial. So, now that you know what a time trial is, what the two different kinds of TTs are, let's look at what is in a time trial training plan. So, in that case, if you decide, hey, I've got this local TT out there and I, I kind of want to give it a try, you'll have an idea of how to get ready for that kind of effort and what kind of training you need to do prior to lining up at the start line in order to have a great ride.
Okay, so the main goal of a time trial training plan or a TT training plan is really to raise your aerobic threshold, right? The more power you can put out underneath your anaerobic threshold or your aerobic threshold, the point where you switch from creating power on an aerobic scale to you outstrip the oxygen carrying capacity of your blood and you start producing anaerobic power, the faster you're going to go. All right, I'm going to repeat that. The more power that you can put out under your aerobic capacity, your functional threshold level, the more power you can put out while using oxygen to fuel your exercise or your workout, the faster you're going to go. Now, a time trial is simply not a case of go as hard as you can for as long as you can. No, there's a little bit more to it. There are a couple of specialized skills that you're going to need to work on prior to jumping into that time trial if you want to succeed, and I'll talk about those a little bit later. But first, the primary thing you need to know about is functional threshold power, all right, FTP. You've heard me talk about this a lot in the past. I've done posts about this in the past. In fact, there's a couple of podcasts about this, and there's a couple of posts, and I'll link those in the episode show notes for you to look at in detail. But essentially, functional threshold power is the amount of aerobic power that you can put out. It's essentially your one-hour peak critical power. Now, for a really detailed description of that, again, check out the podcast that I did on functional threshold power on two tips, two keys to raising your FTP. And you can also check out my blog posts on functional threshold power. What is it? How do we train with it? And what do we do with it? Right, But to summarize those things here, the number one thing that you're going to need to do if you really want to raise that functional threshold power up there, you really want to take a step towards succeeding in a time trial type effort, you need to raise your VO2 ceiling and you need to raise your FTP to match the percentage of your VO2 that you're using. So again, there's a long, long, long involved post about this over on tailwind-coaching.com slash 79. You can find the podcast show notes there and it'll be, you know, linked there for you. But in order for your FTP to grow, you have to give it room to do so. In the past, I have used the plant analogy. Okay. If you have a plant, you put it in a small box or a room that has a short ceiling, it will only grow up to the ceiling. Once it grows up to that ceiling, it's going to spread out. If you take that same plant and you now move it outside, well, that plant's going to keep growing up and up and up and up until you give it something to butt up against. Your functional threshold power is very much like that. Your functional threshold power is very much like a tree that is stuck in a room with a small ceiling. If you really want that tree to grow... You have to raise a ceiling. A ceiling is very simply your VO2 max. Now, yes, VO2 max has a genetic determination as to what its upper limits are, but for the most part, recreational athletes, amateur athletes, do not even use a significant portion of their genetic maximal VO2 max. All right? So if you really want to be stronger... Instead of using 60% of your VO2 max, wouldn't it be nice if you could use 80% of your VO2 max? That would be your upper limit. Now, 
if your FTP is 80% of your VO2 max or 85% of your VO2 max, your VO2 max is 100 watts, for example, your functional threshold power would be 85 watts. If you raise your VO2 max to 200 watts, now your FTP goes up to 170 watts. You see how important it is to raise that VO2 max. If you don't raise that VO2 max, you can never get your functional threshold power up to that 170 watts. So the number one thing you need to do is you need to build some zone five or VO2 max work into your time trial training plan in order to give your FTP some room to grow. Once you have that VO2 max work completed, that zone five work is completed, you've built that VO2, you've increased the percentage of your genetic VO2 that you can utilize, you need to build some aerobic endurance. Now, I've got, again, a couple of posts on the podcast show notes here that I'm going to link. Um, some posts about building aerobic endurance by using sweet spot level training and functional threshold power FTP level training. Those are really the cornerstones of building aerobic endurance, along with some longer endurance riding in which you're going to practice other types of skills and, uh, you know, leg speed drills, neuromuscular work and muscular endurance and things like that. So these are the big keys. Number one, build your VO2 max up, raise that VO2 max ceiling. Number two, let your FTP rise to match that ceiling through a number of avenues, sweet spot level training, FTP training, endurance training. Those are all keys. Those are the basics of a successful time trial effort. But as I mentioned earlier, there's not just a case where I'm going to show up at the start line and I'm, I'm just going to drill it and I'm going to be successful. No, there's a lot more to it than that. And that's where the nuances of a time trial training plan come into play. I'm going to give you a couple of tips so that you can actually get more out of your time trial training plan and you can actually apply this and do better the next time you line up at a TT, whether you're racing the Eddie class or the TT class or whatever the case may be. Now, number one, the number one most important tip that I'm going to give you, and now when I say that, this is beyond the simple raise your VO2 max, raise your functional threshold, raise your aerobic endurance. The number one tip that I'm going to tell you here, which will help you have a better time trial or succeed a little bit more during your time trial efforts is the importance of building more muscular endurance. Now, I know I sound like a broken record because so many of you who are listening to this podcast have been longtime listeners. You've been longtime readers of mine, and you're going to sit there and you're going to say, God damn it, there he goes again. He's talking about muscular endurance. More me. That's what he's talking about. I cannot stress how important muscular endurance is, not just from a standpoint of riding and racing and training. And fatigue resistance. It's not just necessary for long rides or for crit racers or for road racers. Muscular endurance, the more you have it, is going to greatly benefit you in terms of a time trial effort. In fact, I would go so far as to say more muscular endurance equals a faster time trial. You see, muscular endurance is the ability for your 
legs, the muscles in your legs, to continually contract and relax with a significant amount of force being put through them. So you can actually go out and you can put your bike into the granny gear, your smallest gear, 3428 or 3434, whatever you want to do, whatever you have out there. If you're a mountain biker, maybe it's a 2234, I don't know. Put your bike into that smallest gear and just ride, just spin. You can probably do that all day long. Now put your bike into a large gear, like a 5314 or 5311. See how long you can push that gear. I'm going to bet you can't push it very long. Even the best time trialists that I know have difficulty pushing those huge gears for long, long, long periods of time. All right. That is muscular endurance. The longer you can push that big gear, the faster you will go. That's pretty simple, right? Because force is equal to, and it, or power, I'm excuse me, power is equal to force times velocity, where in this case, velocity is your cadence. So if you want more power, what can you do? You can put out more force or you can spin faster. So what about a combination of the two? Put out a lot of force at a high cadence for a long period of time and you're gold. That, my friends, is the key to a good time trial. Now, how do you do that? Well, I've talked about this many, many, many times before, but muscular endurance training is probably going to be the basis of most of your training program. Um, those sweet spot intervals I talked about a few minutes ago, those functional threshold power intervals I talked about a few minutes ago, there's no reason you can't build those intervals around your muscular endurance training. Muscular endurance intervals are going to be anywhere between 10 and 30 to 40 minutes, and you're going to be talking lower, lower cadences, 65 to 75 RPM with high pedal tension throughout. Yes, they're boring. Yes, they suck. I can't tell you how many of my clients and how many of my cyclists have looked at me and said, you've got to be kidding me. No, I'm, I'm not kidding you. And I can tell you how many of them have come back to me after one of their events and said, my God, I, I can't believe how much better I felt than I've ever felt on something like this. And it's real simple. It's mostly the muscular endurance training that helps your body be fatigue resistant. It helps your body from prevent your body from breaking down during an effort. It helps to allow your muscles to continue contracting hard as you spin those cranks around. So if you're going to add something to your time trial training program, add some muscular endurance intervals. Twice a week, do a set of 2 by 20 intervals. Um, that's a total of 40 minutes. Look for sweet spot uh, intensity or functional threshold intensity. Cadences anywhere between 65 and 75 RPM. Okay? Now, I mentioned a minute ago if you want to produce more power, you have two options or a combination of two options, you can either push the pedals harder or you can push the pedals faster. That's where your leg speed and neuromuscular training comes into play. To force all of your muscles to contract 
at the same time, or more specifically, in a very coordinated pattern necessary to push the pedals around in a circle is not an easy thing. Look at most of those professionals you see on TV and listen to the commentary. You'll hear quite a few commentators talk about how smooth and how beautiful and how supple his pedal stroke is, or how he dances on the pedals and how he just looks like he's gliding uphill. That just doesn't necessarily come naturally because look at a lot of these guys when they were younger. Their pedal stroke is kind of ugly. In fact, even in the professional ranks, some of these guys have an ugly pedal stroke. That, folks, is power that is being left on the road. The more efficiently all those muscles work together to push those pedals around in a circle, the more power will actually get to the pedals, the less that will be lost into body heat, and the faster you will go as a net result. So leg speed training and neuromuscular training, which again, I've talked about this in the past, and you can check the episode show notes for some more detailed descriptions. Neuromuscular training that helps to build that neuromuscular coordination and to increase your potential leg speed is an absolute necessity for you to do well in a time trial. Again, if your muscles contract at set points, you know, as a metronome, you know, they tick, tick, tick. If you're turning the pedals over that fast, you're turning over the pedals like that, and suddenly your body just breaks down because it's not used to doing that, you're going to lose a lot of power. You won't be able to push hard. You're going to lose speed. You're going to lose time. And you're going to lose places. The difference, very often, between a podium place and a mid-pack finish is how supple and efficient you are as a rider. How do you improve that? Neuromuscular drills. Single, uh, single leg drills, where you pull one leg out and you simply use one leg to push you, push the pedal around in a solid circle. You're trying to eliminate the dead spot in that circle. Uh, super spin work. Ramp that cadence way up there and try to hold it as long as you can. The longer you can hold it, the better off you are. Um, constantly changing your cadence to adapt to different kinds of terrain. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite workouts to throw into a time trial training program, and this is one of my big secrets for my TT training program, is my single speed workout. I'll include a link to this in the episode show notes, but for those of you who don't happen to have it or you're listening to it in your car or whatever, here's the gist of this. Find yourself a road that will take you anywhere between 8 and 20 minutes to ride. Now, I know that sounds like that's a bit of a tough ask, but of course you can still have corners and you can have things like that because, let's be honest, very few time trials are simply a straight line that don't require you to turn or corner or anything else. Now, what you want out of this road, you want some kind of changes in terrain. Now, I'm not talking about a fact where you're going to hit a half a mile climb at 8%. No, 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 no. You don't need that. Save that for, for your VO2 work. I'm talking about a road that will take you anywhere between 8 to 20 minutes to complete and has rolling terrain. Um, terrain that you could feasibly do in a single gear. Uh, a single speed workout. So what you're going to do is you're going to find yourself a gear 
that allows you to pedal at your chosen cadence at around sweet spot level, for example. If that's what's in your training plan, then that's what you're going to do this at. Let's say it's sweet spot today. So I'm going to send somebody out and I'm going to say, go find yourself a road, get into a gear that lets you comfortably, at a comfortable cadence, ride your sweet spot intensity. Now, stay in that gear for the entire length of that road or the entire length of that interval. That means if the terrain goes up, your cadence might have to come down and your force production, the amount you push into the pedals, will have to go up. If the road descends or goes downhill, your power production is going to go down because your force production is going to go down, but your cadence should go up. The idea here is to imagine you are on a fixed gear bike, a bike that the pedals have to turn if the rear wheel turns. So as you're cruising along this road, you are constantly changing the amount of force you're applying to the pedals. You're changing the amount of speed you are, your bike is doing, essentially, because you're going up and down hill. And you're also adapting your cadence to that terrain. This is such a huge, huge, huge skill to master because the more you shift around in a TT, the more you're going to lose efficiency. Now, this single speed workout actually has a twofold purpose. Not only is it, does it change or teach you the ability to change your cadence based on terrain, it also really helps to simulate a case where you may have a small rise that you really should not need to lose time shifting on. You really should just be able to learn how to power up and adapt to that rise and recover on the following descent. This is a skill that's very, very, very difficult to master. You can master it on the trainer. You can work on it on the trainer by doing things like 10 seconds on, 20 seconds easy spinning, or, 10, or 20 seconds on, 10 seconds of easy spinning. You can try that, but there's nothing quite like getting outside and doing it outside. Doing this outdoors really, really sets you up for success in a TT because it simulates a TT. I mean, your singular focus during a time trial is go as hard and as fast as you can. You shouldn't have to shift if you don't need to. You shouldn't have to come out of your aero tuck if you don't need to. And this single speed type workout is key for that. It's a great way to test run your time trial prowess. So there's a couple of quick tips on muscular endurance and leg speed slash neuromuscular training and my single speed workout that will help you get more out of your time trial. And that's only the training part of it. Now we get to talk about the performance part of a time trial, which of course is the thing that tends to give most people, um, what do I want to call it, agita or heart palpitations, whatever you like to call it. So what is, first of all, what is a time trial training benchmark or a time trial benchmark? Well, for myself and for many, many coaches, we typically use the 25-10 rule. And that rule is a 25-minute, 10-mile time trial, that puts you somewhere in the neighborhood of 24 miles per hour uh, over a 10-mile course. 
that's pretty good. That's a pretty good benchmark that will show me that you have A, pretty good aerobic conditioning, B, fairly solid neuromuscular conditioning, and C, relatively good aerodynamics and efficiency and neuromuscular coordination. So again, 25 minutes for a 10-mile time trial. Ideally, this 10-mile TT, this 25-minute 10, is supposed to be very similar to your number one time trial goal. So if your time trial goal is a rolling course, you should be able to do a 25-minute 10 over a similar rolling course. If it's an uphill time trial, which... God help you for a 10-mile uphill TT. They suck. That's all I can tell you is they suck. A 25-minute 10-mile climb. And let me tell you, that's, a, that's an absolutely brutal, brutal time. Um, if you're talking a, an uphill time trial of any significant gradient, more than like 3 or 4%, you really need to adjust your, um, your expectations. Anybody who's doing uh, 24 miles an hour uphill at an 8% grade, um, I call bullshit. And I want to know where you're getting your dope from. Uh, most of you are not pros, so... And to be honest, I don't know of any pro that's doing a 25-minute, 10-mile, uh, 8% grade time trial. Uh, so... That goal really, that benchmark really applies to your flat TT. And it's worth saying, if you are doing an uphill time trial, there is definitely still value in doing that flat 10-mile test. And if you're coming in under 25 minutes for that flat 10-mile test, chances are you've got the aerobic machinery and the aerobic capacity already built to handle that uphill TT. Now, that uphill TT, of course, requires additional muscular endurance training and climbing positioning and all that kind of stuff, but that's a completely different podcast. That's a completely different animal. So let's get into riding a TT. Um, if you're trying to put out that benchmark or you're looking to you know, PR a time trial course, how would you ride it? Pacing is the number one key for a time trial. Those of you who happen to be triathletes will understand this very, very well from the bike legs of your, uh, of your triathlons. You cannot, and I do repeat, you cannot burn yourself up early on in a time trial. You have to create what is called a negative split. All right, You want to ride the first half of that TT course just a hair less, just a little bit easier than you're going to ride the last half. So assuming you're going to ride a TT course at 100%, right? You want to be on boil for most of that race, not above too much, because the longer you're above, the more you're going to burn out quickly, and you don't want that, right? You want to be right at, you want to just tickle that threshold the entire way along. My recommendation for that is you want to start just below what you feel that threshold is for the day. And we can talk about power numbers. We can talk about, I'm going to stick to this number and this range and this zone. Great. Go ahead. You do that, chances are you're going to leave some kind of performance on the pavement. 
All right, it's very well known that race day performances almost always exceed training performances. That's why the old adage remains true that training is racing and racing is training. In fact, the best testing you can do, the best fitness testing you can do is during a race because you have a psychological element of motivation there that you do not typically have in training. All right, so what I'm going to tell you to do is go by feel. When you come out of those blocks, you come out of that start house or, you know, they turn you loose. Since most amateur TTs don't really have a start house, they have a guy who holds your saddle and lets you go and they say, off you go. You settle into that intensity that feels like threshold, right? That feels like as hard as I can go for the next 30 minutes or 25 minutes. Back down maybe a percent, just the tiniest bit. Because you really want to save enough that you can ramp it up as you get closer to the end of that TT. All right? A properly executed negative split will mean that you produce more power over the last half of that time trial than you did during the first half of that time trial. Now, assuming you have a rolling time trial that's not pan flat, you may have to adapt a little bit. You may have to adapt this this negative split philosophy a little bit based on the terrain. If you have a really, really lumpy first half of the time trial, you may actually put out a higher average power during the first half of that TT. But that power, especially if it's a lumpy profile, is going to be very stochastic. It's going to be very high power, lower power as I recover going downhill. Higher power as I go up, lower power as I go downhill. All right. Now, this is where pre-riding comes in, and, and pre-riding, of course, is almost a must. If you don't know it, you can't be ready for what it throws at you, all right? You have to know where does the road climb, where does it descend, where do I add power, where do I take power away, all right? Very simply, if you want to get more out of your time trial, you want to add power on the ascents, not the descents, the ascents. I know it sounds great if you want to add power going downhill because you're already going fast and you can go faster. But, but, but if you want to go faster over the entirety of the course, you need to apply power going uphill. Think about this. If you're applying 100% of your power, you're at your functional threshold power and you're doing 20 miles an hour. If you add 10% to that, you might only go 21 miles an hour on the flats, right? Now, if you are doing your functional threshold power uphill and you add 10%, you may only add a mile per hour going uphill. But instead of going 20 miles an hour, if you're going uphill at 10 miles an hour and you add one mile per hour, you just increased by 10%. Now, if you're going downhill and you're going 30 miles an hour and you add that 10% to your threshold power, you're now at 110%. Now you're doing 31 miles an hour. You added 0.3 or 3% to your overall speed. See what I'm getting at here? You're going to get the most return on investment by actually pushing harder uphill and backing off downhill. You can go faster with less as you descend 
but you have to put in more to go faster uphill. Does that make sense to you? This is where pre-writing this course is so intentional or so integral to a good, successful, executed time trial. All right. You have to know where to put it out and where to back down. Where to conserve your energy going downhill, where to spend it going uphill. A good technique to use during one of these types of time trials, we have rolling terrain, is the ability to roll a climb. So as you power up that little bit of a climb, you give a little kick over the top, and then you drop a, drop down a gear, or if you followed my single speed workouts, you stay in the same gear, you increase your cadence, and you rock it down the opposite side. Again, you're only pushing the pedals harder for a couple of extra seconds. Then you're backing off and you're relaxing, and that's all you're going to do because now you have the speed carried through and you are able to get a little bit of recovery as you roll into the next section. Make sense? Again, the key here is spend your energy where it's going to give you the most gain. Don't waste it trying to push downhill and give you minimal gains going downhill. Right? So pre-ride, pace properly, conserve speed and conserve energy where you're able to. Now, the icing on the cake, of course, as Team Sky would say, are your marginal gains. All right? Arrow, everything still counts. I know that sounds counterintuitive to what I said earlier, um, but arrow equipment makes a difference. Specialized at one point said that shaving your legs can save you, I think it was a minute and seven seconds or a minute and 37 seconds, something ridiculous. It was over a minute at, in a 40 kilometer time trial. That's a 25 mile time trial. Now, the difference between a minute is the difference between top step of the podium and mid pack, folks. All right. So break out the razor and shave your damn legs. Okay. <laughs> It may feel weird. Your significant other may look at you and go, what is wrong with you, man? But get rid of that hair. If you are a Wookiee and you've got the hairy arms, I hate to tell you guys, get rid of it. Every bit of body hair creates aero turbulence. It creates air resistance, and that will cost you seconds. All right. Probably the most important pieces of aero equipment, aside from shaving your body hair off, uh, anything that's not covered by your kit, of course, the rest is up to you. That's not, it's none of my business. I don't, don't have your significant other come to me and say that I said shave your back because I, that's your own deal. Um, in order of importance, in terms of aero equipment, number one, get a skin suit. Get a skin suit that fits, that has very few wrinkles in it and is comfortable. The more comfortable you are, the more efficient you can be. Number two, an aero helmet is a great investment. They can be very pricey, but they have great returns on that investment in terms of creating a slippery aero profile. Number three, booties, gloves are, you know, they're important. They're not necessary. Most decent Road racing shoes nowadays are going to be decently aero because, let's face it, that's the marketing thing right now. Aero gloves will help you out, especially, again, if you are a little bit hairy. Um, then we get into the big ticket items. The wheels. Your bike. These are things that 
only change if you are hunting seconds. And I'm talking seconds, like three or four seconds. All right. If you have the resources for it, fine. Go out, buy yourself an aero bike, buy some deep section wheels. Great. No problem. If you don't have the money for it, put that money into your skin suit first, your helmet second, booties and gloves next. That's going to be the basically the hierarchy in terms of cost per dollar in terms of aero equipment. And of course, there's a couple other silly little tips like actually pledging your bike. No, I'm not talking about pledging to give it to somebody. I'm talking about spray your bike down with pledge and polish it. That will actually make your bike more slippery in the in the wind and through the air. You can take a look at my article on the Friction Facts uh, chain lube process about waxing your chain. You can save up to, I think it's like 7 or 8 watts of power with a smooth waxed chain. Um, some people do it for everyday riding. Uh, some people only do it for race day. If you're going to do it for race day, here's what I suggest. Buy yourself a second chain, wax it ahead of time, and then put it on before your race. Make sure that everything is obviously tuned up and ready to go, but put it on there, test it, make sure it goes fine, and that's going to save you 7 or 8 watts, up to 7 or 8 watts. Uh, positioning. Positioning is a tough one because everybody's flexibility is a little bit different. But your ultimate goal, goal here is to stay low and stay tucked. Um, you need to be as small a frontal target as possible and as smooth a target as possible. Get yourself comfortable riding in the drops. Um, riding in the drops is going to actually shelter your forearms behind the bars, behind your, behind your, uh, your shifters, assuming you're using a drop bar road bike. If you're using a TT bike, Get yourself a really good bike fit so you're as comfortable as possible in that aero tuck position. Uh, as a bonus, if you are really comfortable with your bike handling skills, you can do what the pros do. You can rest your elbows on the tops of the bars and, you know, just cup your hands. I'm like, go to do that and I hit the mic. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. You can cup your hands in front of you and just sort of, you know, pray whatever you want to call it, hold position there, as if you had aero extensions on your bike. That will help you get nice and low. It'll put you in a good, powerful position to really put a lot of force through those pedals and put a lot of power into the pedals. Don't try to overachieve once you hit windy conditions. You're not going to win that battle. I can tell you this for a fact. If you hit windy conditions, adjust your effort. Yes, your speed's going to drop. But do not try to maintain the same speed with a headwind as you would with a tailwind. You will burn yourself out so incredibly quickly I can't even begin to describe how bad that is. Okay, So pay attention to wind direction and wind speed as you're riding. And of course, finally, equipment selection. Equipment selection here should be a very fluid thing. Do not be afraid to swap out wheels on the last minute. All right? especially if you have a condition that will make you uncomfortable, all right? If you're in big crosswinds and you're using a really deep aero wheel and you don't handle the crosswinds well with those wheels, pull out a box section rim, all right? Better to lose the couple of seconds of aero benefit that you might have gotten as long as you are comfortable. If you're comfortable, chances are you're going to make up that aero deficit, 
If you're not comfortable and you're constantly trying to push that bike around and fight against the crosswinds and keep it online and prevent yourself from from crashing, you're not going to have a good TT. All right, it's as simple as that. The bottom line here with equipment selection, with positional selection, with riding anything involving a time trial is comfort is the key. When you're comfortable, you're smooth, you're efficient, you're powerful, and you are fast. All right? When you're comfortable, you're smooth, efficient, powerful, and fast. So comfort is going to be the king. Everything else is icing on the cake. And of course, comfort also comes from the fact that you've prepared well and you've done all of the physiological work that you've had to do to be ready for this race. So keep that in mind as well. All right, guys. Again, there's a lot of links in this episode show notes. I'm looking at them right now on my notes. Check those out, tailwind-coaching.com slash 79 to find those episode show notes. And I really encourage you to check it out because there's a ton of information there. If you have any questions, any questions at all about writing a time trial, prepping for a time trial, what it takes to get comfortable on your TT bike or anything like that, feel free to shoot me an email, coachrobdc at gmail.com or find me on any of my social media and I can help you out there. Find me on the Tailwind Coaching Facebook page or send me a Facebook message. I can help you out there too. All right. And again, if you enjoyed what you heard this time, head on over to iTunes and rate the show five stars. There'll also be a link in the episode show notes for that. And I really do appreciate that. So until next time, ride strong, ride fast, ride safe, ride efficient. Good luck in your time trials. Keep the shiny side up, keep the rubber side down, and I'll be talking to you again really, really soon.